Would you open to Isaiah chapter 59? Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1. The last two or three Wednesdays, we've been talking about the prayer of faith and about praying and believing when you pray. No other faith works. It's really a waste of your time to approach God in prayer without really believing, without having faith in him for what you're asking for. I think a lot of people do because a lot of people think that prayer is simply a continuing of word, just keep saying it over and just keep praying and keep pressing in and get on all the prayer lists and go to the prayer meetings and get in line and all of that. And if you just keep at it, if you can stay at it long enough, then chances are you'll probably get it one day. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, man has taught that, but not God. And a lot of people practice that because when you tell them what the Bible says, it just doesn't seem to fit in with their experience or what others have told them. And so tonight, I want us to look at reasons why prayers are not answered because too many people have become disappointed in prayer meetings and prayer lists and time in prayer, and they don't do much of it anymore, I suspect, because they haven't seen very many results in their whole life, nor do they know very many people that have gotten good results in prayer. I know there's a lot of books on the subject, and I know a lot of people were prayer warriors and a man of prayer and all of that, but to a lot of people in the Christian faith, prayer is a word. It is talking to God. It is asking God for things, but in the back of their mind, there's this little thing that says chances are it won't work, but try this first anyway and see if it works. Maybe God will. And so they don't get very many answers to prayer, and they do get disappointed. Now, in Isaiah 59, in verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. You're not so far away that he cannot reach out and get a hold of you and save you. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot here. Why is it then that so many people have very few testimonies, if any at all, about God answering their prayer? If you pin most Christians down, tell me what prayers specifically you have prayed, something you have really sought God for, and he has done it. And you'll find that not many people Maybe you could, but I'm saying in places I've been in my lifetime, you don't know very many people that could say that. They will say, well, we pray. We have a prayer meeting. Boy, we have the biggest prayer meeting in the town. That's good. It's good to pray. The Bible said the house of God is a house of prayer. We do pray. God has invited us to pray. He wants us to pray. He said, ask and you shall receive. Come boldly to the throne of grace. I mean, he asks us to come. He said the prayer of faith heals the sick, and so forth and so forth. About prayer, all things, whatsoever you desire, what you ask for in prayer, believe you'll receive it, and you'll get it. That's what God said. So we should pray. The results are guaranteed to us. But a lot of people have had such a little response in their own personal prayer time, prayer life, I think they have sort of fainted, drawn back, given in to the nothingness of it. And they haven't gotten answers. Now, what I want to say tonight is one of the most fundamental teachings about prayer as it relates to faith. 
that there is. And it's something, if you think you're going to be a preacher someday, if you think you are now, this is one message you need to acquaint yourself with. I heard this many years ago. In fact, I have to force myself to teach on some of these things because I think, Lord, I've taught that before. That's so long ago, everybody knows that. But I don't know that everybody does. I know a lot of these young folks are getting interested in spiritual things. So if you older folks have already heard it, the younger folks are just now getting there. So we're going to really work on that too. But I suspect that you hear things that you refresh yourself in, things that you can hide in your heart and carry this in your hard drive, what I want to say tonight, so that when you do encounter people who are dismal about prayer and what they know about it and understand about it, you can help them. There are reasons why your prayers, their prayers, anybody's prayers are not answered. There are reasons why it has not worked. If Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you have them and you shall get them, then that's the way it should be. That's what he said. He can't lie. Jesus can't say, ask and you shall receive. If you ask and you don't receive, something's wrong. Number one tonight about why prayers are not answered is because man's relationship with God is flawed. Flawed. Either one, he's a sinner, unsaved, and has no connection or relationship with God, or they're professing believers, but they're out of harmony or out of relation with God due to sin. Now, these are some verses. John chapter 9 and verse 31, it says this. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, him he heareth. So we know that God heareth not sinners. So if a person has never been born again, they're still in their sins, they're often encouraged by religious people to pray, especially in the time of an accident, a sickness, a bad news about something, or uh, some awful thing happens, and everybody runs to a church or goes somewhere to pray. The Bible says that God does not hear sinners. There is a prayer a sinner can pray that God hears, and it's the prayer that comes out of the mouth of one whom God has given faith to be saved. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is God not only who inspires that, but God who gives by grace, he gives you that privilege of asking, asking for forgiveness. He will hear that. But as a matter of prayer, just having a routine of prayer, being unsaved, you can pray if you want to. Eventually you'll quit because you find out it doesn't work. God is not obligated at any time to hear a sinner's prayer unless that prayer is a prayer to be saved, born again, that God will give him the grace for that. But just as a general rule, praying, getting down to pray, saying your prayers every night, every morning, and not being a born-again Christian, it doesn't work. Second thing in Psalm 66, and verse 18, the psalmist said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That is, if I consciously know in myself that I am not living according to what I should live, I'm not talking, thinking, and doing the way I know I should, my conscience on the inside bears witness to my sin and reminds me of my sin. 
It's like that phrase, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And if I regard, if I'm holding back from God or I'm hearing one thing but I'm living another way, if I'm aware of iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So there's a relationship that has to be intact. Nobody is welcome to come before God and ask for anything unless they're living right. Or again, you can go back to that sinner thing, who gets saved. Once you come to the Lord, he expects you to live on his terms. I think that's fair. Our text where we were a while ago in Isaiah 59, verse two says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Hid means made him to hide. Would God ever hide from somebody in the sense that he would not let them recognize him or that he would listen to them? Would God ever hide from people that they can't seem to find him? They have this empty feeling in their heart that you're alone and without God or I can't reach him or nothing's working. Could God hide himself from you and let you feel like that? Let me just show you how this works or how that works. Would you quickly look over in Deuteronomy chapter 31? Back in the front of the Bible, the fifth book, Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 17. God says, then shall my anger be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them. Now, are we same page so far? Now, when people who are supposed to be God's people live in denial or rejection or indifference or casually with what God said and don't make his words their words and his way their way and they go about doing their own thing while they profess to be his I'm talking about the church today modern Christianity then the Bible said God's anger his anger with those people causes him to forsake them now, your Bible says that now I believe this I believe there are so many people in what is called church today who live in direct opposition to God and what he says that they really don't know what he says anymore and they really don't care because they have a religion they like doing it the way they like to do it and they don't realize that God himself has forsaken them. I mean, people don't like to hear this and they don't want to hear this, but God said this. Your Bible says he said it. He said, then shall my anger be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them. Does it say that? You remember the great benediction? Moses, pray over the Israel like this. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. That is favor. It's the epitome of grace. God's gracious favor to his people. Now here it is absent because he said, I will hide my face from them. How will we do without God's blessing or favor in our lives? How will we do as a church? We'll learn to do something. We'll pick up on something. We'll follow some trend. 
we'll imitate somebody or something, and we'll come to like that, and that'll be good enough for us, and we will assume that that had to be God because a lot of us are doing it. And God isn't in any of it. He's in none, none, zero, none of it. There is a way that he has said to go, and this is the way you walk his way. There are no other ways. There are no substitutes. There may be noble ways. People may applaud your devotion or something to God, but if it's not what he said, it is a waste of time. People don't like to hear that. But he said, I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? Could we say this tonight then, that a reason a lot of evils come upon God's people is because of their sinfulness, their sinfulness. And yet many of them don't know they're sinful, but they've been sinful for so long that when you begin to point out their sinfulness, they're agitated and upset by it. And therefore, you can't help them. They'll fight, they'll leave them, join another church, they're going to do something because people just inherently don't want to be told that somebody is wrong. You know, just think about somebody who recently lost their life in this town. I mean, how fast and how quickly you go into eternity. One minute you're, you're driving and maybe laughing about something, and then within a second, two or three or four seconds, you're in a different realm, just that quick. And if you were in the midst of a bad joke, and, and, and I know they weren't, but I mean, if it were so that somebody was living a really bad life and that happened... I guarantee you nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear well, this person didn't make it because. But the conscience of people know that the person wasn't serving God. Remember that story about that old preacher down there slammed his hand on that casket down the mountains? And he said, close the casket. And he did. He slammed his hand on the casket and said, this man went to hell and you all know it. Well, probably they all did, but they all got mad because you said it even though they knew it was right. It's something about human nature that just doesn't want to admit that God is altogether right and you're altogether wrong, that I should be recognized at least for some of my goodness and, and at least, you know, I'm not the worst man in the world, the worst woman. But God said, because of your sinfulness, he would hide his self from you. Evils and troubles will befall you. No one will come to your rescue. Micah, the little book of uh, Micah, you don't have to turn to that, but God describes their sinfulness there. The reason he wouldn't hear them in Micah 3 and verse 4, he did not listen to them when they pray because of ill behavior, the way they acted. Their behavior was ill, and God quit listening to them whenever they prayed. How about insincerity in worship? Isaiah, the same book, chapter 1. In the first chapter of Isaiah, God is speaking against his people. This is another section of Scripture you should be familiar with. Verse 11, he said to these folks who were, you and I would say, going to church. That is, they were going to the temple on the Sabbath or whatever to bring their sacrifice and to worship God. But they were living so badly, they were so wicked in their life, that he said in verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. 
and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my course? It's as though he says, you're not even my people. Who told you you could come in here the way you're acting? Well, look at verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with what? Iniquity. A seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord, as most church folks seem to have done. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. And in verse 15, he said, And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Does the Bible ever declare a time when God will not hear his people? And here he did. Here's just one of many, many times that God said to his people, when you pray, I will not even listen to you nor regard your prayers. Why? Because of your sinfulness. Because of your just sinful, ugly lifestyle. In fact, go to the next book, Jeremiah. I just finished reading as a, my little daily routine past few weeks. Isaiah, and then Jeremiah, and now Ezekiel. It's like every page. Paul said the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. And I read over and over and over again that God's going to judge his people. You can't live the way people live and forsake God, disregard God, but act spiritual on Sunday or at the supper table. You can't live like that. You can't go your own way and do your own thing and expect God to show you favor. He just doesn't do it. It just doesn't work that way. And yet we're reminded of that throughout the Bible, but nobody reads it. Nobody. A lot of people don't get convicted by it because, well, they just don't read it. Look in Jeremiah 11, beginning in verse 7. For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting, say, Obey my voice. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their own evil heart. That is, they did their own thing. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, and they would not do them. That would be in Deuteronomy 28, the curses. I believe a large segment of the world's population, a huge segment of the world's population is under a curse. I do. I believe nations are under curses. Verse 10, they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. And they went out after other gods to serve the house of Israel. And the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I have made with their fathers. Therefore, here's what happens. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. I think that's desolation. I think that is just terrible. To realize that in a time of need of one of my children or a member of my family, and something really has happened and happened suddenly and without preparation, 
And there's a time that you really need on the behalf of somebody else to get a hold of God. And you can't. You can't. That's pretty tragic. We should be ashamed when those things happen. Proverbs 28 and verse 9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Think of this. I hear it. I hear it. I hear myself talking to me. I say this all the time. But these are the last days. God puts a premium on his word. He blesses us with it. He simply tells us what it means. He's given us insight into what the word is all about. For in the word, he reveals, as we've been teaching on Sundays, he reveals who he is, who you can trust on, and what he has given you to count on him to do. That's all in his word. It comes by revelation to those that seek it. But when you find it, it's like finding everything in life you need. It's the pearl of great price. It's the treasure in the field. It's it, everything that a man could ever need he finds in God. And God has showed us what those things are by giving us this word, sent the Holy Spirit to show it to us. And for anybody who's had that privilege given to them, to taste and see that the Lord is good. You've had experiences with the Lord. To come to the place at any time in your life where you're no longer interested in it or eager about it or sensitive or zealous for it or even interested in it. Or you get so busy in this world that you become distracted and you get satisfied in the little bit you have gotten so far. God takes very seriously how you act towards him about that. He went on to say in Proverbs, he that turns away his ear, I know it doesn't matter who he is, but he that turns away his ear from hearing the truth. That's like people who don't go to church because I don't need that or I've already heard that. Well, listen. Whoever they are that turn away their ears from the hearing of the law, even their prayer shall be an abomination. That's pretty strong. Have you know that Brother Tom didn't write this? You're welcome. Thank you. Would you go back to Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 30. Look at verse 8. Go now and write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. For the time to come. Would that be now maybe? All right, let's see what it says. That what you see in these people in that time, which also will be typical of the last days, when evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, when men begin to depart from the faith in the last days. He said, write it for that time, verse 9, that this is a rebellious children, rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Don't want to hear it. Preach is too long. I get home late and have to listen to all that. Well, that's your choice. That's your call. In those days, he said, would say to the seers, see not to the prophets, prophesy not right things, but prophesy to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Just don't want to hear it. Just don't want to hear it. And so he says in verse 13, therefore this iniquity, which is what that's called, turning away from God, I don't want to hear all of that. All I hear, you just keep pounding on us. I don't want to hear it. Can't you prophesy something smooth something? You got any other messages? Okay. Yeah, they come out the same way. That's what Jeremiah's complaint was in chapter 20. He said, every time I open my mouth, it's 
turn or burn? I said, I'm going to quit preaching. He said, but I couldn't. Your word was in me like fire in my bones. Verse 13, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall whose breaking cometh suddenly in an instant. That's what happens. I think of the next to last book in the Old Testament. Let me quote this for you. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 11 and verse 13. Zechariah said, But they refused to hearken, pulled away the shoulder, and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Verse 13 says, Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried, and they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. Let me ask you again. Is there ever a time when God would refuse to hear the prayer of a professing church member, professing Christian? Is it a guaranteed lock-in at any time you pray, he listens? Is it true that anybody who prays any time they praise, God listens? Absolutely not. What separates a man from God so that he will not hear? Sin. Sin has many forms. It could be lying, cheating, deceit, hypocrisy, all kinds of things. Look at how the media in the United States treats sin. They make light of it. Sin is nothing. Sin is just a three-letter word. It's like guilt is a wasted emotion. Why do you get involved in all that stuff? Man, life's too short to get bogged down in stuff like that. It's the biggest church they say in America. I've heard the biggest church in America doesn't preach about sin because it makes people uncomfortable to be located in their sin. So, oh, we're not here to make people feel like that. We want to encourage people. Encourage them to What? What do you encourage a sinner to do? To pray? Because if you tell the sinner, it wouldn't do you any good to pray. God won't listen to you. You better be ready for a war. Because even though you told him the truth, people don't like the truth, don't want that to be true. Make it say something else. And there are people that will do that today because people like to hear illusions. They like lies. They like deceit. And we're in a day when all of that's happening. Jeremiah 14 talks about his people love to wander. And he said, because they love to wander, therefore the Lord does not accept them. That's Jeremiah 14. He said, because my people love to wander, therefore, he goes on to say, therefore I do not accept them. Now, if he doesn't accept them, their prayer obviously isn't being heard either. We have this distorted picture in Christianity of God who just somehow obligated to us to just notice how sorry our life has been and that he ought to respond and he ought to do something because he's God. Doesn't he care? That's the universal thought that people have about God. They're looking for that God. God that doesn't care how you live or how much sin's in your life or how trashy your life is, just... You're a human being, you have a need, and surely God, if he's everything he said he was, he ought to care about you. I mean, you're suffering. Yet you read in the Bible, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 13, verse 23, he said, Strive to enter in at the narrow gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter and not be able. 
He said, but many were saying to me in that day, Lord, we did this. And he would say, I don't know you. I never knew you. And that's what he said. And that's why that message just causes people to just, oh, I can't stand to hear this. It's because it's true. Even your own conscience, your heart smites you when God speaks truth. Not half-truth, not man's tales. You kind of like that. But when you hear what God has to say, it smites your conscience. You can't get away from that. They said to Moses once when God spoke, they drew back and they thought they would die. And the people said to Moses, you talk to us, not him. Boy, he's too strong. You think... The only way a man is ever going to recover from the grips of death and certain judgment from God is to take truth and receive it. Admit you're wrong. Admit he's right. Resign yourself to the wrongness of your life and your decisions and to the rightness of God. To bow your head and say, Father, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I want to be a saint. I cannot make myself a saint, but I want to be a saint. Would you forgive me of all my sins? And when you don't live the way you should or when you listen to the message of man, the Bible said, I think this is still in the Bible. Isn't there something in the Bible like this, maybe 2 Timothy, maybe chapter 4 something, that he says that man in the last day will turn aside their ears from the truth? Turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside unto fables. Doesn't it say that? There may be some exceptions to what I'm about to say, but I do believe this, that people who have turned aside unto fables, when they do then hear the truth later on, they will simply compare what you said, because they think it came from you, with what their bigger church preacher said, because he knows more than you do, and they'll begin to pick and choose what they believe. And God forsakes them. Is it possible that the God could give up people to their sins? If God isn't convicting you of your sins out there, in here, wherever, they don't listen. If you're not being bothered by things in your life that need to come in order, there's something wrong with you because God will never leave us alone. And I do believe that every time we come together, he has something to say to us, something that he will use by being convicted about it to clean your life up so that you come more and more into his favor and into his abundance and his bounty and away from all that other stuff. But a man is separated from God because of his sin. And when he is separated from his sin, we've said several times, God does not hear your prayer. When as a Christian you live sinfully, especially with regard to heeding the words of God, and you don't want to hear that, God especially says he will not listen to you. So that's very serious. A second thing, a second reason why God does not hear our prayer is how we relate to each other. It's called unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. What a big subject that is. If you turn to Mark 11, I'm sure you all know where verse 24 is. I hope you do. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Well, 
in the same breath, the next two verses must be taken into consideration with that verse because it sounds like whoever wants to pray can pray. And somehow God will listen because you prayed according to the Bible. But listen to what he said. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, what's the first word after that? Forgive. Forgive. Release someone. Whoever you are holding a grudge against, ill will towards, just mad at, angry towards, forgive them. When you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. You ever stop and think about that? Has your heavenly Father forgiven you of your trespasses? Yes. Well, what if you're unwilling to forgive others? What if you're unwilling to forgive? Look at the things that can be done to you. Divorce, suit in court, somebody gypped you out of your life savings. We've read that in, a lot in the paper and heard about that. People have been ruined. Their life has been ruined by a cheat. Somebody stole something that was yours and never got caught. Somebody killed somebody you knew and never got caught. Somebody did you wrong. The bank wouldn't give you the loan. The teacher spanks you in school. I had a kid one time said, I'm going to burn your house down after I spanked him. I said, man, I hope you don't. But you can have some real strong feelings. Perhaps the strongest force on this earth as it relates to man is man's passion. Because that's what precedes a lot of things. Resentment towards somebody leads to hate. Hate leads to murder. That's why if you've had bitter thoughts and feelings in your heart, you have murdered your brother. You're guilty of death. You haven't done anything. But he said the same thing about adultery. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. You're as guilty as if you had done it. Would you agree with me that Jesus draws a pretty fine line? He doesn't give us all the room that the world gives us. He doesn't use the logic of this world where man's religion does. He says, this is the way we're going to do it. You're going to live this way, and this is how I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. The church is full of tares. They're growing together until the end. They grow together in the same room until the end. When the reapers come, they separate the wheat from the shaft, from the good fish from the bad fish. Jesus said, leave them alone, let them grow together until the time of the harvest. And the harvest is about here. You don't see a lot of planting anymore, not a lot of great revivals and thousands coming forward like 30 years ago. Now, today, it's, it's a refinement. It's the polishing of his church. It's cleaning, getting her ready for the bridegroom to come. And he is coming. That's why we're talking about these things that cause us to get our hearts and lives in line with the Lord and quit giving ourselves all this room and all of these excuses for not doing what we should. We can't do that. God is righteous. He has to judge sin. One of the great tragedies in the Bible that precedes judgment is the way we treat each other. I say we treat each other. I mean the way people treat each other. 
abusing each other, threatening each other, extortions, bribes, spreading lies and rumors, backbiting, gossip. Christians do this as much as anybody. And when you've been hurt by that and somebody has named you wrongly about something and you heard about who it was, that strong passion that man has rises up and conquers a man's will in their mind. They begin to be bitter. You can tell who's full of unforgiveness by who is always telling the same story over and over and over, how they were done wrong. And we shouldn't listen to that. I know people talk like that, and I know people listen to that. And we wish we had enough courage to say, well, don't you think God can forgive and change all of this? The other person doesn't want that. They don't want forgiveness. They want you to listen to their story. There's a lot of people that are just in real trouble with unforgiveness. I don't care what church you go to. You can go every week. You can prophesy, jump up and down, dance. You can do all the things that you want to. But in the back of your mind, when a certain word pops up, a certain subject is mentioned, like the word abuse, you begin to think of how that family member abused you. Maybe really ugly, a sexual abuse. I've talked to lots of people in my life in the church that were abused sexually as young people or children. And it has affected their whole life. That's why I think one of the worst low-grade people in our society are those that abuse children. I think it's nature's waste. I think it's a terrible thing. I don't have my paper here with me tonight, but one of those czars in our president's advisors in his cabinet, one of his czars, is uh, one who goes right along with this stuff. But these are the last days. That shouldn't surprise you. Time is funneled down. It's coming down to a head. The end is coming. In your soon-to-come time, you're just shortly down the road here, there's going to be some big bombs being dropped in this world. The nation of Israel isn't going to sit quietly by and let Iran keep sticking their tongue out to the rest of the world talking about their nuclear advancements. They're not going to do that. I don't know what the rest of the world is going to do, but I know we can't sit around some big table and say, now stop that. Now let's get to come and let's talk about this now. Somebody will come back and say, well, go get George Bush back. We need him back. Somebody needs to put their finger on that trigger, I guess. I don't know. That's not my business either. That is, is theirs. I'm just saying we're coming down the last days. The turmoil you see in the world and the seeking after some solution is similar to what's going on in the church. There's turmoil in the church because we're being told now in a way we haven't been told quite as intensely before that you better get ready. The Lord's coming. If you're not ready, you'll be left. And if you're left, you won't like what's coming because it's not going to be pretty at all. But you've got to forgive people. I don't care who abused you, who stole your bike, who is deceiving you, who robbed you, who cheated you. Your wife that ran around on you, your husband that ran around on you, your children that are doing drugs and drug your name through the community as some low-grade family. In many ways and in many things, we've all been hurt. We've all had things in our life that have soured us on a lot of things in this life. But if you're a Christian, you've got to forgive. Nobody would have hurt you or done to you the things that they did if they knew Jesus Christ. 
the people that killed Jesus when they put him on the cross would not have done that if they had known what you know. They would have never done that. Never. They would have died before they would have done that because they would know who he is. But they didn't know, so they killed him. There's no reason for us to walk through this life aimlessly, full of bitterness and resentment about somebody or something. Because God who forgave us has cleansed us and wants us to forgive others. Again, again. He said, when you pray, forgive. If you have ought against any, even as your Father has forgiven you, so you forgive them. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, I'm not even going to try to explain what that means. That's self-explanatory. Go to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. Matthew 6. Sermon on the Mount. It begins in verse 5. And it's what we call the Lord's Prayer. And we get down to the 12th verse, and it says, after it says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Does your Bible say that or something close to that? All right, now think of this. Lord, give us our daily bread. I've said that a lot of times. Thank you for my daily bread. And the next verse said, and Lord, I ask you to forgive me of whatever I do in the same way that I forgive others for what they do. Now, if I'm harboring resentment against somebody, that means I'm not forgiving those people. If I forgave them, I wouldn't keep talking about them over and over and over every week, every time somebody mentions them. I'll tell you one thing about him. He did me. You'd quit talking like that. You bury that. And if you can't, and if you won't, well, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever for. For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Is that what that means? That's what that means. Do you want to be forgiven? You want to have a clear conscience and have peace with God and find his favor, having his face shine upon you? Then you have to forgive. There's no options. Oh, but she really did me wrong. Man, man she broke my heart. I'm sure she did. I'm not saying she didn't. I'm not making light of that any. I grew up in a home in which two people didn't appear to love each other. Divorced and then married again because of my dad's religion, I suppose. I don't remember anybody being happy. A lot of talk and bitterness and yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard it my whole life. I'd hate to think that one day I'm going to die and take that with me to my death. It's not worth it. How many of you have been forgiven a lot? Have you been forgiven much at all in your life? I've been forgiven more than most all of y'all put together. No, you haven't. Well, all right, then we've been forgiven a lot. I was a chief of sinners. I did write that in a journal. <laughs> now, if you've been forgiven a whole lot, as he said in Ephesians 5, 
forgive others even as Christ has forgiven you? Did he forgive you of everything, or does he keep telling you, yeah, before you get too excited about being blessed, remember how bad you were back in high school? Remember that time when you were in college, and, oh, Lord, don't tell. Well, you remember that time you did that? Well, huh? Or does he hide your sin as far as the east is from the west? How far is that? That's a long way. That's what he did for you when you came to him. All those ugly, nasty, vulgar things, if you ever did those things, all the vile, uncouth, and ornery things you ever did, that he knew every one of them. And one day he forgave you the whole thing, all of it. As though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. He said, how dare you then, having been forgiven that way, to not forgive anybody, anything? Turn to Matthew 18, verse 21. How oft shall my brother sin against me, and, and I forgive him? Seven times? Forty-nine times? I'm counting them. In that little journal, I've got a record back there. Every time I make a mark, and I, he's about done. He's just about done. I about had my full of him. This guy keeps bugging me and badgering me. Gets my parking place. I can't stand him. Well, then you got unforgiveness. You ever heard that? I just can't stand him. I can't stand her. Now, you're in trouble. You tell me how well God could stand you. When you were a sinner, did God say, I can stand you? It's not a miracle because it's just something that God does. But if, if you use the word miracle, it would be a good place to use it is by the miracle of God's grace that anybody in this room gets forgiven of anything. Because the way we treated God and the way we act and acted, and why should he be long-suffering since he's forgiven us? Because we're still dragging our feet. We still have a tendency to do things our way, and if we don't feel like doing something, we're not going to do it. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't want to. We're still like that, still. He's still tolerant, isn't he? I don't know how long he's tolerant, but he's still tolerant. Well, Matthew 18, he said, how long do I forgive him? Jesus said, from verse 23 on down through here, he said, a man owed a lot of debt. He owed a big debt, verse 25, but he couldn't afford to pay it. So his Lord commanded his servant, he said, to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, whatever that is, and laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him and said to him, O thou wicked servant, I think the Lord is telling us that anybody who will not forgive whatever anybody has ever done against you qualifies being wicked. 
Well, I know you go to church. I know all of that. But he says, what you're doing is wicked. There's no excuse for that. He said, oh, you wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desirest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, that means angry, and delivered him to the tormentors. That's where the curse comes in. A tormented life, a life that is always up in the air, waiting for the other shoe to drop, never at peace, always agitated, is a life of a curse. That's what the tormentor does. He delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. What do you say in verse 25? For as much as he had not to pay. And now he's back in jail, and how's he going to pay it now? This is red letter. This is red letter here. And verse 35, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. I could spend a lot of time tonight with verse 35. I don't need to, though. But the key here is your heart. Anybody can mouth the words. When I was a little boy, my cousin Donnie and I used to, his parents lived across the hall. We had a duplex. I lived on this side, and he lived on this side. And every now and then, in the course of our growing up, we get in a fight. I don't mean an argument and a nose-to-nose. I mean a real grab-your-face, twist your hair, hit you wherever you could, fight. Scratch and claw and just try to hurt somebody because we were little heathens. And then whenever my cousin would come out and separate us, he would make us say, now tell him you're sorry. Well, I never was sorry, but I said I was. He told us one time, said, you all kiss and make up. And I got coming towards him. He started leaning toward me. I spit on him. And, man, I got whipped real hard over that. But there was a lot of pleasure in my sin in doing that. It was terrible. I got sent to the principal's office too much in school, too. But anyway, you have to forgive. You can't harbor resentment. You can't just say, well, all right, I'm sorry. How many husbands and wives say, all right, I'm sorry. All right, I am sorry. (laughs) How many of you know that's not always true? Or turns the record on, I'm sorry, so sorry. No, he said, if you from your hearts do not forgive anybody the things they've done against you, whoever they are, neither Will your heavenly Father forgive you? Does he say that? Well, I can't think of anything more serious tonight than that. I really can't. I know we're teaching on that now, and that's what we're talking about. But, but that is such a serious statement in the Bible that God made. And yet you see so much evidence of it today. Gossip. When you're always talking about the same person all the time. When you're always telling a story to make the listener of your story to agree with you that the person you're discussing is a sorry individual, you have forgotten while you're telling the story that you also were once a very sorry individual, and you are being sorry while you're talking. 
because your words give evidence to the fact that you have bitterness and ill will and resentment towards somebody, and you would like for somebody else to join you. If you listen, this is what's happening. You want somebody to join you in your critical evaluation of somebody as being less than whatever. And there's something that happens in your own life when you listen to people and you don't stop them, you don't correct them. If you don't say, you know, we shouldn't be talking about people like that. Have you been forgiven? Yes. Well, then quit talking about it. She did me wrong. Well, he did me wrong. I know they did. Marriage problems are never easy to solve. Never, ever, ever easy to solve because of that passion thing, the emotions, because the devil uses it. That's the thing he pumps up because that's so hard to overcome. It's just really hard to say, I'm sorry, when everything in your heart's been tore out of you. Or you think it has. And the people that are surrounding you are promoting you and say, I'd tell you one thing, what I'd tell him. You know, if he did that to me, you know what I'd do? And then you take that home and you start thinking about that stuff. And if you're thinking like that, you can go to any church you want to, go as often as you want to, be in all the prayer meetings you want to, but something about you is real dead. Because if you do not forgive others, your Bible says God does not forgive you. And we know that God heareth not sinners, John 9, 31, Psalm 66, 18, Isaiah 59, 2. Your sins separate between you and God. Is it a sin to gossip? Is it a sin to be bitter against somebody? What do you do with it? You do what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. Do you think a person who lived a holy life would talk ugly about you? Say no. Then why do people talk ugly about other people? Have they been taught that they should not do that? Maybe not. But it goes back to something we heard earlier. A lot of people have heard what God said, but they forsake that because of passion. I know I should. How many times do we tell something we shouldn't say, and we preface it with this? You know, I know we're not supposed to talk about people, but, and then you talk about it, now it's all right. We spread rumors because we want to. There's some kind of a carnal satisfaction in doing all of this. And then when it finally gets back to the person you're talking about, and they're really wounded and hurt, some of them just quit the Lord. I know people have because of you. It's like your tongue became a little noose. You wrap it around somebody's neck, as Proverbs says, and you kill them. You choke them with your tongue. It's a little member in your body. And it can either set you free by saying the right things. By your words, you shall be justified, and by your words... You can be condemned, it'll work for you or against you. It depends on what you hook it up to. If you speak only those things that edify, then nobody will ever blame you or turn on you. But when you are resentful about other people and a root of bitterness does find a lodging place in your heart, it's usually because of unforgiveness. You're just really bitter about what somebody said, what somebody did, how somebody acts. You can tell young people, I know it wouldn't happen here, but young people get together sometimes to talk about other girls and other boys. That's not right. Of course kids do that. Well, they're just kids. I don't care if they're just whatever. They, they're not supposed to do that. If they've been taught better, you're guilty. Amen? At some point in our lives, we all have to be accountable. If you're big enough to say, I want to be saved, you're big enough to be accountable. Amen. Thank you very much for that. Now. 
One more thing, and I'm going to stop here. Another reason prayers are not answered is because we don't pray in the name of Jesus. Very simply. Turn to John 14, John 15, and John 16. Would you look to those places in Big John, the Gospel of John? In John 14 and verse 13, here's what Jesus said about his name, his name, and prayer. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Isn't that interesting? That will I do. Now make a note of that. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, verse 14, I will do it. Chapter 15, verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. It's the name, the name of Jesus. And in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. I hear people because I'm real aware of this. I heard this message and taught this same message tonight many years ago. Many years ago. It's the same message. It doesn't change. But I would listen to people pray at, at big meetings, a big convention, the ball game, the car race, the foot race downtown on the Saturday, whatever it is, and they always have a minister to pray. And I used to listen to them, and, and they would often say, Almighty God, and we ask in safety and protection, in thy holy name, amen. Well, that's not what it said. It's the name of Jesus. And that's the name that you use as New Testament Christians when you go to prayer. We are here because of one. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. And whatsoever you do, whatever you do in word, that would be prayer, wouldn't it? Or deed. Talking to your wife or talking to your neighbor. That's words, deeds. Whatever you do in word or deed. Do it all in the name of whom? Of Jesus. And there's one name today that'll stop just about any conversation anywhere in high places. The one name that is not acceptable on almost any talk show today, almost any interview, is Jesus. I've heard the football player from in Florida, you know, give it after the game was over, and they're quite a commendable athlete, and... And something about the game, they'd ask him a question about the game. He'd just say, I just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could just feel everybody going, ugh. See, they can't use that name. That name doesn't belong to them. That name doesn't fit. They can't even say that name. They have to say the man upstairs or the big guy, some other obscene way of saying it. They can't say Jesus. They don't feel right. A natural man doesn't feel right using that name. 
If he prays a public prayer, he knows if he says, and this we ask in Jesus' name, that people don't like that. They don't. The principalities and powers in the air, they know the power of that name. That there is one name given unto man, whereby all of these principalities and powers have to bow their knees. It's the name of Jesus. And they despise it. Religious circles despise it. Jesus sounds so exclusive, like he's the only way, and he is. But they don't want to hear that because of this liberal mindset which drifted into the church down through the centuries, and man was formed that way because of his continual rejection of God, and now he can't get back. He's gone. And there's so many people that are gone. When you mention Jesus, they're offended by it. Are they not trying to take Jesus out of schools? Or even God, such a broad name as God. God could be a lot of things, a lot of people. To a Hindu, it's a bunch of them. But Jesus is a special name. It is a special name. It is a name that brings you into the presence of God. You approach God. There is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus. There is one name that you use when you pray any kind of a prayer. These signs shall follow those who believe in the name of Jesus. And then he begins to tell you what can happen. Devils tremble at the name of Jesus. Demons are terrified at the name of Jesus. When they met him, when he was revealed and known in Palestine many years ago, they said, don't send us to that place. They knew where they were going. They knew who the judge of all the earth was. They saw him in eternity, and they knew who he was. He was in a human body, and they know they couldn't touch him. They said, art thou come to destroy us, to send us to that place? Don't send us there. They were afraid of him. And the same Jesus said, I have conquered the world. I have overcome the world. Now, you take my name, and you go into all the world, and you do what I did. The works that I did shall you do also, and greater than these shall you do, because I'm going to the Father. And he sent the Holy Ghost to you. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus. So let the world moan about it. Let the world get all out of sorts about it. As far as you and I are concerned, that's the name that we're going to bury in our hearts the name of Jesus. So if you want to get your prayer heard, you pray in the name of Jesus. If you're going to go to a Jewish banquet, they ask you to pray, you pray in the name of Jesus. I don't have to pronounce Jesus in Yeshua. You know, I'm not into those names of other cultures and activities they did in the Old Testament. People are trying to recreate all the Old Testament stuff. That's past, P-A-S-T, past. To me, as an Anglo, if you took the T-O-N off of my name, I'd be a Jew. Hamel, name I use is Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He is my soon-coming King. He is my great God and coming Savior. His name is Jesus. Father, it's in the name of Jesus as we dismiss ourselves from here tonight, that we pray that your spirit directed to our hearts will begin to give us light and revelation 
you know, the kind of life we're supposed to live, the things we're supposed to believe, that you'll do all the things that need to be done in our lives. And we are so thankful tonight. We are so thankful tonight that you're teaching us your ways in these last days, relieving us of the fear of tomorrow, knowing that you are the one who protects us, keeps us, defends us, leads us, guides us, and keeps us. And we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, for all of this, amen. Amen.